Welcome everybody to another episode of the Advisor Arena podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Malm, and my goal each episode is to bring you fresh ideas, a new perspective, innovative practices from some of the most successful financial advisors in our industry. So thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everybody. This is Jamie Malm, and this is another episode of the Advisor Arena podcast. A big welcome to my guest today, Amanda Thompson, who is an entrepreneur. She's a speaker, a thought leader, corporate executive. Amanda, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join me. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So I want to give people a visual of where you are right now. I am a country girl, so the view outside my window is in Kansas here, all pasture, maybe a few cattle. And I love it. But I have to admit, I love when you share your view of where you're at. So <laughs> it's a little different. Yes. Tell me, tell me, give the give our listeners a little visual here. It, it is a little different. Today, I am looking out my corner home office view uh, in Denver, Colorado. I live in an eight story high rise apartment. So you can see our Capitol building. You can see the mountains today. It's a beautiful blue sky. So yes, I see um, no cattle, lots of people walking, lots of people on bikes, lots of cars. Uh, and in Colorado, we have a lot of construction going on. So right now outside of my window at quick count, I can see eight construction cranes. Oh my goodness. Wow. I love, especially over the holidays, when you would post pictures and it would be big, giant snowflakes out your window and the twinkling downtown lights of the city. I thought it kind of looks like you're inside a snow globe or something. It's absolutely gorgeous, but definitely different than that's my what we. That's what we actually call our apartment. We call it the snow globe because <laughs> it feels funny. like you're inside a snow globe. So I'm glad that that's how you feel because we yeah, do too. I did. I did. Okay. So, Amanda, you have an ex extensive experience in recruiting, sales, leadership, marketing. I was actually introduced to you through my affiliation with the um, company that you co-founded with Tara Renzi, which is Authenticity. It's a community mm -hmm. for women in business. But rather than me trying to do justice to your areas ex of expertise, I'm going to let you tell us just a little bit more about what you do, how you support other entrepreneurs, just you know, people in business and what you feel your focus is. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, for me, I come from a background, as you mentioned, I started my career in recruiting and really built a, a fantastic career. I helped many Fortune 500 companies really guide their hiring and retention of great candidates. And I had a lot of experience in the financial service industry. I worked for a really large bank and supported our financial services division there as well. And then I got into sales. You know, I, I was one of those individuals that everyone said, gosh, you should go into sales. You should go into sales. You should go into sales. And I really, I, I shied away from sales for a long time because I, in my mind, I always thought that salespeople were these really high pressure, intense people. And I, and I'm not, I would never describe myself that way. And I was a little bit apprehensive and I ended up getting into sales. I ended up flourishing, loving it and ultimately starting um, my own business as an entrepreneur. And I started that business from zero and it moved to a $40 million a year business in the space of direct selling. And all of a sudden I woke up one day and I was like, wow, I'm actually really good at this. But I kept hearing over and over from entrepreneurs things like I'm stuck. Um, I don't know how to curate leads. I'm really confused 
about social media. I feel like there's all these things to get my time and attention. And I'm actually really not selling. I'm not building relationships with clients. I feel like I'm unorganized throughout the day. So I was having this conversation with my, my business partner now, Tara, and we ultimately created this community called authenticity that really takes proven methodology in sales and really helps particularly women um, level up their sales game. And we base our community on proven methodology. So both she and I are certified emotional intelligence practitioners. And we we basically overlap that scientific foundation into many digestible areas of content every week. We call it our mini MBA. So we basically have motivation, business training, and action or accountability every week. And so it's not this platform where it's really exhaustive training. It's something inspirational to get you started at the beginning of the week. It's something really relevant. Like, for example, right now we're talking about how to use social media and how to lean into your customer base during this strange time of COVID-19. And how do you really keep those conversations going without feeling salesy. And then at the end of the week, we really lean into action and accountability. What are you working on? Where do you need help? How can we support you through our experience, but then also our group? And so the name of that that community is called Authenticity. We designed it particularly for women um, because we found that the way that women show up in their sales can sometimes be different than the way that men show up. But we have actually a lot of men who participate in our emotional intelligence classes and almost always give us feedback that, wow, it helped them to kind of see things from a different lens, uh, especially in, in these kind of strange times that we're in right now. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you talk about the way that women show up is different. That's actually what drew me to the group. So I can speak firsthand about how fantastic you guys are at bringing value and little tangible items to take and really impact your business. Where I sought you out is because of the support and work that Gradient does with um, our women, our women advisors, mm-hmm. um, our our advisors that have female clients and really giving them the tangibles and the resources that they need to go be successful because I hear it <laughs> I hear it referenced too often as a niche and women aren't a niche it's not a niche marketing but there is <laughs> right. you know there there is some different messaging that goes along with that and I think women just you know we're we're more apt to struggle with balancing family and a career and just relationships and figuring out how to balance that all. So you guys do a great job. I, I have recommended several to you. I've taken a lot of great things from what you bring to the table to the people that I coach. So I can say firsthand, anybody that's interested should definitely check it out. You guys are fantastic. Well, thank you for that. We appreciate that. So a topic that I have found fascinating in the last few years, which is One thing I want to give us plenty of time to talk about today is the psychology that goes into sales and marketing. And you just touched on it a minute ago. It was your hesitation to get into sales is that it felt like high pressure. And I can tell you in talking to advisors every day, nobody wants to feel like high pressure sales, right? It's actually the hesitation in sometimes realizing our success because we are trying so hard to make sure we don't sound salesy that we miss out on how to really create that connection that's required to be successful. I'm interested in how that played out for you. How did you manage that shift and how do you teach others to 
make that mindset shift? Yeah, it's probably one of my most favorite questions to be asked because I do think it's a human condition, right? The human condition is we find the value in what we offer and we start talking to individuals and we're, we're very quick, I think, in the sales process to get down to the path of what am I selling? Let's get to the point. And we don't really take the time to cultivate the relationship. And one of the things that I actually learned from my recruiting experience is what made me a great recruiter is I didn't call somebody to say, hey, I have a job opening I'd like to talk to you about. I started the call with, hey, I'm a recruiter are you open? If you are open, what are you looking for? I work with multiple clients and let me see if I can find the right fit. Is this something you're thinking about today um, down the pathway? And so I think I learned the, the skill of qualifying people, but using that through authentic, real questions that didn't feel like I was grilling them with leading questions to get them to buy whatever I was selling, that I was really leaning in. And I think that is really relevant now in the time of COVID, that if you are sitting in a place of feeling paralyzed, if you're if you're not quite sure what to talk to about with your clients, if there's fear and uncertainty, this is a great time to lean in with your authenticity and to lean into wellness checks, just checking in on your customers. They're probably feeling um anxious. They're probably feeling nervous. And so I just really use this time in sales that I would just connect with people as humans. And I would just ask them basic questions. Like, you know, when it comes to financial services, it was really understanding where were they at in their life and what was working, what was not working, um, and really helping to just ask genuine, authentic questions. I don't have a staged list of questions that I ask people, uh, but there is a great book if you struggle to ask questions, if you feel like you ask kind of these never-ending questions that don't go anywhere. It's a book called Questions That Sell. And it's a really great book that really just helps you to think about questions in terms of asking really insightful questions, comparison questions. And ultimately what I would do in this process is I would start to use the answers to those questions to curate if I had a solution for them and to qualify that person. And so ultimately what that allowed me to do is I could qualify people in a pretty quick clip. I I got really good at kind of qualifying if somebody was ready, if somebody was open, if somebody was looking to do X, Y, and Z, that it allowed me to qualify them pretty quickly and it allowed me to manage my lead funnel more effectively so I could work with those people who are ready to make a change today. I could nurture the people who were looking to make a change down the road and I could stay in touch with the people who weren't necessarily interested. And so what that allowed me to do was always keep myself in a place of servicing them instead of thinking about what I had to sell them. Oh, that's so good. If that makes sense. It does. And we hear so much about asking questions, but it is definitely an art. And if done you know, if if it's done in an authentic way, you can tell it's we really care about the answers, right? We care about what you need. And I've heard this referred to as humble swagger. So instead of going in Mm -hmm. with your high pressure sales tactics of I guarantee I have the solution for you, think how much more open the consumer might be if you lead it with here's what I do. I don't know that I can help you, but I have been able to help many others. Tell me what you're looking for and let's see if there's a place where I can help that has a totally Mm -hmm. different feel to it. And oftentimes you'll get people to open up much more. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, we're so trained in, in business that we don't want to reveal too much of what's on our chest. And so I think that one of the things that really helped me was that humble swagger that was, Hey, listen, I've been able to help other companies. I have no idea if what I do can help you or if it's going to solve what you're looking for. And here's the deal. My job today is just to help you walk through what you are looking for, because I think a lot of times our clients don't actually even know what they're looking for. And I think that's actually really true in financial services. It feels very overwhelming. Um, People don't know, is it a good deal? Is it a not good deal? You know, one person says this, one person says that. And I think using the art of questions can, and in, I think really exploring good, meaningful questions, right? Like one of the questions I love to ask people is like, okay, well, if you did this, what would be the best thing that, that would come from this? And and it gets them to dream, right? It gets people to start thinking about, well, gosh, you know, if I could retire at age 60 versus 70, what would that do for me? And if I could, you know, do X, then how would I get there? And so I love to ask that question because it inspires people to start thinking. And then I love to ask this question. So what is your plan to get there? What does that look like? And, you know, ultimately that's where people then start really revealing to you um, what's happening in their life and, and what they're thinking about. And that then gives you a chance to say, you know, thank you for sharing that. And you can kind of pause. And, and I think where people make the mistake in questions is they ask the questions, they get five or six questions and then they immediately are like, Oh, here's how I can help. And if you're the buyer, it feels like you haven't heard my questions. And what I found has been a better approach for me is, you know, hey, today we're just going to do some discovery and just get to know each other. And I'll come back to you based on what you've, you've shared with me. And after I've had some time to really think about it, I'll get back with you. And so what I have done is I don't typically do a first sale close. Um, and I don't know how you guys do it or not, but typically in my world and what I sell, um, I don't typically do a first sale close. So I'll typically do a discovery meeting, I'll, I'll bring them back together. And this is where the art of questions is really important because I then will take what they told me. And in our second meeting, I'll use that same line of questioning to really get them back to that dreaming phase. And now I'm going to show them the yellow brick road that's going to get them to that dreaming phase. So I'll say something like, you know, last time we talked, you mentioned that, you know, if you retired at 60, it would allow you to buy a beach home, or that would allow you to travel and be with your grandkids, or that would allow you to, you know, maybe volunteer more, whatever it is they told me. And today I'm actually going to show you the yellow brick road that's going to help you do that. And it's going to help you if they've talked about fear or uncertainty in that discovery question. I just kind of put all those objections out there. And it really, I think people lean into that and you won't, you won't find as much resistance with objections. I could not agree more. And I want to go back to that first question. So for our listeners, write this down. And I don't I don't want to butcher it. But I believe you said something like, if this were to happen, what's the best thing that would come from it? Can you say mm-hmm. that question That's again? Correct. Was it that? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So if 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 you were to retire at age 60 versus 70, what's the best thing that could happen? Now, you know, I sell and have sold anything in my career from, you know, small services to $20 million uh, services. And I can share with you that question works for everyone. Because, again, the reason I love that question is buyers, whether whatever they're buying, buyers are buying 
because it's either going to help them solve something or it's going to help them to alleviate pain. And we all know that people tend to change when they need to alleviate pain, right? But when they can start dreaming and then it feels like there's a doable approach, then all of a sudden it's not this big, scary thing. It's not that you're just, you know, someone else that has financial services. You've been really thoughtful and kind of giving them that yellow brick road to get them to the best thing that could happen. I love that. I am reading a book right now and what you're saying kind of resonates and reminds me of this book. It's called Switch by Dan and Chip Heath. Have you read it? I have not. I just wrote that down. Switch. So I, I haven't finished it yet. I'm maybe halfway through. But the premise of it is how we create change or a switch in our lives or influence change in others. And much of the topic is centered around our emotional side versus our logical side, which is what you're talking about right there. It's not, you know, logically, I may know I want to retire at 60, but have I let my emotions catch up to that? And he refers in the book to our emotional side as the elephant and our logical side as the writer. And I think that gives a great visual of how the two interact with each other. And for a while, the writer can control the elephant, but eventually we wear ourselves out and the elephant overpowers the writer. Our emotions ultimately Mm -hmm. are what's driving our behavior and they take over the logical side. So the goal is to get them to move together. And I think you just gave us a really practical example of how that works in in this industry. So I I don't think we have anybody probably listening to this call that is in disagreement that that first appointment should be all about building rapport and asking questions. Um, I do think, you know, people are better at that than others. Sometimes it just seems like you're firing data questions and you're not really getting them to open up, which is what we want. So really good tips there. Yeah. Thank you. And that book questions that sell, if you are listening to this and you feel like you are asking data-driven questions um, or you're getting kind of resistance, like, well, I don't know. Yes, no, you're getting these really kind of short questions. That book, Questions That Sell, will really help because he really guides you through, I think, getting into that emotional connection with your client, getting them to really understand what, why they make a decision, right? Because you'll typically hear people like, oh, well, we're challenged with this. Right. And this actually happened to me on a client call um, earlier this week. And I said, okay, well, but hold on back, back up. Like when you say you're challenged by this, like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And then he told me and he kind of gave me another answer. I said, okay, well, what does that mean for you? And he said, well, what that means for me is I end up spending my time on the weekends when I could be with my eight year old going through and looking through all this blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and I said, okay. And, And he said, and ultimately at the end of the day, the information's wrong. And I said, okay, so if you don't fix that, then what does that do for the company's challenge? He said, well, then we're not going to get this. And I said, okay, what does that mean for you? He he basically said, it means I continue to waste my time doing that. So at the end of the call, I said, okay, well, I'd love to get together with you next and I'll share some ideas with you. And he fired up an email immediately following those questions. And he said, you are the first human being that has ever actually asked me how a problem personally impacts my life. So good. Isn't that crazy? And I was like, that's a step we overlook. All the time, all the time. And that, and I really attribute to that, that to the book, right? That, that book that I read many, many years ago, it's not a new book. It's an older book, but I read it and, and I think I learned how to ask better questions. So it's a quick read. It's a super easy read and I would highly recommend it. Yeah, that's really good. I'm going to check that out. So one thing I did not know about you until recently is that you're a trained John Maxwell coach. And I'm sure there's a ton of info in there that you feel stands the test of time and dealing with consumers and sales. But 
anything that you went through in that training that you feel isn't applicable right now in the midst of the pandemic and how we're interacting with clients? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, you know, I think that for me, I, I love John Maxwell's leadership view. I love his people-centered vision. I, I really love his five steps to leadership and elevating your own leadership mm-hmm. first, that you have to be self-led before you can lead others. And my son is a graduate from the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, And one of their mottos is that you have to be a good follower before you can be a good leader. And I think that when I think about John Maxwell's teachings, what I, I do love so much about him is being able to lean into the intentional connection. So I wouldn't say there's actually something that's not applicable to now. I actually think what is probably more applicable than ever is your intentionality as you're building your business, as you're cultivating relationships. And now is just a really great time to lean into your community. Now is a great time to add value into your community. What are things that you can be doing, um, you know, whether it's going live and just talking to different people, whether it's networking in your community, whether it's doing a wellness check, like I mentioned earlier, with your customers, hey, I'm just checking on you. Um, I I think those are really underserved. And, you know, in this time of pandemic, I think it's brought many of us to realize the benefit and value of slowing down just a little bit to ultimately go fast. And, And right now, consumers are really, they're probably feeling anxious and paranoid, but they're also wanting to feel supported. And I think there's nothing more special than when somebody you've built a relationship with, maybe it's you just write them a card. Hey, I'm thinking about you. You've been on my mind. Hope you and your family are doing well. Those little things mean such a big deal to people. So I think that intentionality is just even extra important. Yeah, I agree. One thing that I think is interesting is for years, and this is probably in all industries, but certainly in the financial services industry, one of the major obstacles I see our advisors face is how do I differentiate myself from my competitors? And it's so hard to stand out and separate and, you know, make myself um, different or, or unique. Talk about an incredible time in our lives. I mean, you have served to you on a silver platter the opportunity to go stand out and make yourself different. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I, I, I'm shocked that not everybody is realizing that, but that's where the opportunity is created, right? That's for those that are committed to say, I am going to slow down so I can go faster. This is that opportunity. So really good point. Yeah. Okay. And I think now is just a great time to also like, provide that value, you may not see it directly result in an outcome immediately. And I think that's why people don't do it, right? We're so used to, hey, I set up five meetings a week. I closed three of the five meetings. Like we're so used to working within the functionality components of a pipeline. But now it's really important because the more you lean in, the more you create awareness, the more you're doing things that sometimes you know drive the needle in your marketing, but you may not actually feel the outcome of that we will go back to a a time that feels, you know, less confusing. And that will be the time that you will win because you will continue in persistency and consistency when other people aren't. Yeah, that just reminded me of something else I read recently, which I absolutely loved. It was um, an excerpt from maybe a blog post or a report that Philip Stutz had done. And Philip Stutz is a political marketer. He's got a media company called Win Big Media. And he did a whole analysis and report on consumer behavior 
in the midst of COVID. And one of the things that I thought was so important was him saying, you have a really short period of time in which to get your messaging correct. And messaging for any industry right now should revolve around three things, how you're helping, that you're responsible, and safety. That's it. Everything should resonate around that. And if it's not, you're missing the boat. And even if people aren't engaging right now, so we use social media as an example. We're all at home. We're on our phones. We're on social media. We're using it more than ever, but engagement is down. And he said, make no mistake, Mm -hmm. just because engagement is down doesn't mean they're not listening. And when they feel like engaging again, the people they're going to engage with are those that had the correct messaging and those that you know, skipped around and got distracted or felt like, well, that's not working. I'm not going to do it. You're, you're missing the boat. Your messaging wasn't correct. And when people start engaging again, it's not going to be with you. Yep. A hundred percent. Because I think even right now, and I love those three points. Um, so if you can, will you send me that study? I'd love to read yeah, it, sure. but I love those three points because I do think it is so important and is a great way to differentiate yourself. And it's also a way to continue to provide value to your community. You know, I think we hear that expression all the time, like add value. What do I do? Add value. Now is a great time for you to share articles for you to, again, go live and to stay present with your community and to be uh, intentional with that community. Because I think that now more than ever, it's, it's not necessarily that you need to pitch them an idea. It, they, they just are looking for support. And to your point, they may not like or engage, but they see it and they, they know you're there and it creates comfort and stability. Yeah, great point. So one thing that I want to give you plenty of time to talk about, and this is not a topic that I am at all comfortable with, so (laughs) fair warning, but I am (laughs) super interested in it. You are a certified emotional intelligence practitioner. Tell me what the heck that means and how you got involved with that. Yeah, so it's really interesting because I have uh, had many people who are like, ooh, EQ is this like hot buzzword. And and it's interesting because emotional intelligence has actually been around since the 1990s. And really the way emotional intelligence started to be curated was really around looking at successful individuals. So if you think about successful individuals, all of you right now can think about people like go back to your high school days and you can think about that person who was just magnetic, who was super successful. Maybe they had great grades, but maybe they weren't like the valedictorian. In fact, most of us in our life can think about people we know who are wildly successful and didn't graduate from college. Like you can look at Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, like you can look at all these individuals who are wildly smart and intelligent, um, but also wildly successful. And so this study of emotional intelligence was really around, okay, well, EQ is something that can be developed, right? Like this emotional side of of us going back to the way that we are all humans, we're all wired with emotion. But for us, our our intellectual intelligence or IQ is really something that most of us can't develop. You know, we we kind of, we have a, a born with it level and through education and lessons, we can consistently be developing our overall intelligence, but it's not, it's not like you're going to move the scale 50 points um, regardless of what you do. Studies have just shown that IQ is really not fluid. And that's the same also with personality types. So many of us, I've long been fascinated with personality types because I think we're also, we're all very fascinated with what our personality type tells us and how we can kind of see ourselves better. But but unlike an EQ, 
personality types are also typically unchanging. You know, if you take a Myers-Briggs or a DISC personality assessment, you're probably going to be one way. And while that's great, and while you can learn really wonderful strategies to help you, you know, if you're, I'm a strong DI personality. So if I'm talking to an S and a C, there are strategies that I can use to kind of engage with somebody ultimately I'm pretty limited in my ability to change my IQ and my personality. And so this onset of EQ really attracted me personally, because as I ran a really large business, I consistently had independent contractors in this business that would say to me, I'm stuck, or I've been trying this, or, you know, I I'm managing to get X number of appointments, but I can't get the closing ratio to happen or I have this happening. And ultimately I was struggling on how to be a coach and a leader um, in this space because everybody was so seemingly different. And when I leaned into EQ, the piece that was fascinating to me about emotional intelligence is it is the only personalized assessment that I've ever taken. Meaning that my assessment, Jamie, would be very different than yours and would be different than anybody listening out there. And what I liked about that is there are five composites that make up emotional intelligence, everything from self-regard to interpersonal relationships to decision-making, et cetera. But when you take an assessment, and again, like a personality assessment, this is a valid assessment, but it gives you a lens on these composites. And within these composites, there are subscales. So what I mean by that is like, what's your um, empathy level? What's your impulse control? What, you know, what are your interpersonal relationships like? What is your problem solving skills? And so it was really interesting um, when I took my emotional intelligence assessment, there were certain areas that I scored high in and there was a couple areas that I scored particularly low in and I'll be very vulnerable and authentic. Um, Jamie, you know me, I don't, I don't really shy away from anything unreal, but I really scored extremely low in impulse control. And when I first got that assessment back, I was like, Oh my goodness, you're kidding me. Like, I don't feel like I'm not impulsive. Right. So immediately this low impulse control and I started reflecting back on it. And I started thinking about all the times that I was too quick to rush a sale, going back to kind of what we talked about earlier that, you know, I, I made the move to, um, jump into my agenda versus keeping somebody else's agenda top of mind. Um, you know, I'm that kind of person who my husband and I will go out for a walk on Saturday morning and we come home with a new car. <laughs> so <laughs> I could see this impulse control, like how did it show up positively in my life? It would show up positively in my life because I could very quickly articulate if a prospect was or wasn't interested in what to do with them and how it was showing up negatively in my life is that I could see where I was rushing some things. And so there's elements when you actually know your emotional intelligence, you take an assessment, you go through a discovery session, you can actually then take that and start developing that. And what's interesting is that as you start to develop it, whether it's your personal development, training, listening to podcasts, going to conferences, whatever it is that works for you, when you start to lean into this, you actually start to see it and you then can actually control it. So unlike IQ or personality, you can actually leverage your EQ for marketing, sales, your relationships, being a parent. It's really great if you're a parent. Um, but I loved it because for me, when I went through it, it, it gave me the insights to me that I liked 
but it also gave me an action plan. I've been to a lot of training courses where I walked out of that training course and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And then the binder got put up on a shelf and I never did anything with it because while it was really great in concept, I got back to my busy world. I got back to my busy life, but emotional intelligence was so personalized for me and created massive awareness. And, and I think in, I'll be interested to see Jamie in this book that you're reading now, you know, I was once told that we make change, not when we have knowledge of something, but when we have awareness of something. And, and that was really true for me. Like all of a sudden I had this awareness that my impulse control was low. And I could go back and I could actually then see myself in client meetings. I could see myself getting impatient with it. And I was like, okay, lean into it differently, use some different skills. And it dramatically increased my income. It dramatically increased my leadership um, capabilities. And it generally increased my, I think my fulfillment in that area and those areas that kind of frustrate you in your life. And so it's really great for salespeople. It's really great for people as you're building a business because it will also help you to lean into a variety of different people. You know, all of us call on very different people with different priorities. And it also helps us lean into that level of empathy as we're starting to ask some of those questions. That's so good. And I want to circle back to the action steps here in a minute, but I want to share mm -hmm. something in, um, you know, the spirit of full transparency. So until recently, I thought I was a very empathetic person. If you would have asked me, I would have said, oh my gosh, I am full of empathy. I'm this, you know, big hearted, empathetic person. And I listened to a podcast by Brene Brown and she said she, it was on comparative suffering and our tendency mm -hmm. as people to compare our suffering and rank it where I don't feel like I can be upset about this because it's not as bad as your suffering. And she said, you're probably not empathetic if you start your sentences with at least. And I thought, wow. oh, well, I just thought I was providing so much helpful perspective and telling people, at least it's not this. And I thought, how many times have I, I mean, I could think of multiple examples in the last week, my 17 year old daughter being upset that they're, they weren't going to play in state basketball. And well, Emma, at least you're not in 1970 and going off to war. You know, I mean, it was just minimizing. And my thought was, I'm putting it into perspective, see how much worse it can be. But what that really is, is just dismissive of somebody's challenges or pain or frustration. So that was a big one for me. So I, I'm really interested in EQ. I think that would be such an important awareness, like you said, in how we deal with every interaction in our life. So let mm -hmm. me ask you this. Let's boil it down. The financial services professionals that are listening in on this call Give me an example of someone that's in that industry that's not in tune with EQ versus someone that is. How might that play out in the results that they're getting, bringing on new clients or client retention or referrals? Yeah, excellent question. So, for example, uh, one of the composites of EQ is really around self-regard. So self-regard is how do you feel about yourself, your confidence level, uh, et cetera. Someone could, and this is the interesting thing about EQ, so I'm actually going to give you two answers to this, Jamie. So if somebody was scoring low in self-regard, the composite of self-regard, they could find themselves very busy. I'm cleaning my desk. I'm getting everything organized. I'm going to every single training class. 
But the KPIs or the activity that drives those key performance indicators in their business, they consistently put off. So they might see things like procrastination show up in their life if they're showing up with low self-regard. Now, if they're showing up with too high, so it's actually people are always like, oh, I want to score really high on the EQ piece. You can actually score too high on sections two and too much of a good thing is a bad thing. If somebody had way too high of self-regard, you can imagine where I'm going. They can be very boastful. They can be very arrogant. They can be very all about themselves. They can act in compassionate. They can um, sometimes come off very aloof. And so finding that right balance and where are you sitting on that EQ scale is really important. So again, a financial advisor who is maybe too high on the emotional intelligence side of self-regard in that composite, they could be sending the wrong message to your point earlier. Maybe they're just kind of pretending nothing is going on. They're going out to the market very bullishly. They are really not talking about those three aspects that we talked about, you know, earlier in terms of responsibility and safety and compassion, you know, they're really just going out with a very aggressive message. And ultimately what's happening is if you're too low or if you're too high, that can be problematic. And so sometimes an emotional intelligence assessment can actually also show you where maybe you need to tone it down a little bit. Mm, That's so good. I can't imagine. I mean, there just seems like so many things you could dive into if we had awareness on what our tendencies are and how that's impacting our relationships with others. If somebody is interested in getting into emotional intelligence or, or finding out more about how you score, how do they, how does somebody get started with this? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, both Tara and I are certified practitioners. So there is only one certified EQ assessment and it is run through EQI and it has to be administered by a certified administer. So if somebody wants to do a full assessment, you can reach out to me or my business partner, Tara. And what that looks like is you'll get an assessment. It's a questionnaire assessment. doesn't take you very long. We'll get the results back and then we'll schedule a 60 minute discovery session. And what happens in that discovery session is we'll review the five composites and the 15 subscales of those composites, your individual scores on those. And if there's anything that stands out and then we'll give you some practical blueprints on how you can lean in or tone down some of those aspects of your own emotional intelligence. And the piece that I think is really helpful um, about this, Jamie, just to kind of add is like when you lean into emotional intelligence, it helps you with everything from how you write copy for your ad advertising, how you engage in marketing and advertising strategy, how you show up into meetings. This is also how you lead. If if any of you guys are leading office staff, you know, how are you inspiring them to drive to a common goal to working with your family? So um, anybody who's interested can certainly reach out to us directly. Um, Jamie, do you want me to leave an email here? Yeah, please tell them how they can go to you directly. Okay, you can find us, you can send me an email or Tara, my business partner, at hello at helloauthenticity.com. So it's hello at helloauthenticity.com. Perfect. Amanda, thank you so much. I always learn something when I talk to you. I appreciate you joining. And as I mentioned earlier, I have firsthand knowledge of how impactful your group can be. I love making new resources available. So if anybody listening on the call is interested in participating in Authenticity Elite or finding out more about what you all bring to the table, feel free to email me. Um, I think you all probably have my contact info. It's also in the show notes, but jmalm at gradientib.com. For anybody that um, is interested in this, I'll cover the affiliation for 90 days. 
I feel that strongly about what a great way this could be to change things up in your business right now. So contact me, call me, drop me an email. Let me know that you want to participate with Amanda and Tara. And I'm happy to cover the affiliation for the next 90 days. Amanda, you're awesome as always. Well, thank you. Very generous offer um, for your group as well. And I'm so happy. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for letting me spend time with you and your listeners. Absolutely. Thank you.